Uh, so it's Mark 14, uh, 1 to 11. Jesus anointed at Bethany. Now the Passover and festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon, the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And rebukingly, uh, and rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them at any time you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Thanks, Johnny. If you're a preacher, you may have had that uh, experience uh, that comes from time to time when um, all that precedes you in the service has actually said all that you were planning to say. Um, so, Jonty started brilliantly, and I was so encouraged by that. I thought, that's great, that sets the scene. Then he interviewed Simon, who said exactly what I'm going to say to you now. Um, so, thank you, Simon, I think. But um, I drew the, drew the conclusion that uh, if you're anything like me, you hear, need to hear something two or three times for it to really strike home to our hearts. Uh, and I dare to, to think that God is going to put something quite strong on our hearts this day. So let's pray as we come to that passage in Mark chapter 14. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you for your generosity to us. And we give back to you all that you've first given us. And Lord God, now around your word we gather to hear your voice and in our individual and collective life together, that we might glorify you in all the days, the months and years that you give to us, so that uh, when that time comes for us to be called home, we might hear those words, the only words we long to hear, welcome home, good and faithful servant. Bless us now, Lord, as we turn to your word. Amen. Amen. Well, generosity week. I hope we're generous more than one week. We, we've, as Jonty said, we've chosen that title to uh, reflect one of our four key values as a church. We want to pick up not only on our values, but more especially one of the great values of the Bible, namely generosity. As with any subject in the Christian life, we actually don't begin with ourselves, we begin with God. With God. Generosity is one of the great attributes, one of the great characteristics of our Heavenly Father. By nature, he is unremittingly, unfailingly, unstintingly, and instinctively generous. It's his very nature. 
It's just the way he is. He is the greatest giver in the cosmos. He's the author of life. He's the source of everything good that we enjoy in life. As James reminds us in his epistle, every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights. Giving is a way of life for God. And in the strapline to our week together, that's what it, we want it to become for each one of us. Giving as a way of life. And we've already so helpfully heard about that in that interview with Simon. Now, given God loves a cheerful giver, not least because it reflects his own disposition, then what greater ambition can we have than to be cheerful givers? And given, giving isn't simply, as we've already been reminded, about our money, although it is that, because that's a reflection of where we put our value on things. No, giving is much broader and wider than that. It covers our possessions, our homes, our talents, our time. I think I've told you this story before, but uh, in my last days in business, which was a long time ago, about 35 years ago now, I was out for lunch uh, with uh, a friend who had a very successful electrical contracting company, and he told me the story of visiting his cousin. His cousin was a barrister, had been a barrister, but now was beset with mental health issues and was in a care home. And my friend Mac had gone to visit him. After 10 minutes, he'd run out of things to say to his cousin, so he opened his wallet and took out a hundred pound. Now this is a long time ago, uh, it's probably 500 pound in today's values. He wrapped it up and tucked it in his cousin's top pocket. At that point, one of the nurses in the room who saw this happening came over and took the money out of his cousin's top pocket, gave it back to Mac and said, what he needs is not your money, but your time. What he needs is not your money, but your time. You see, God expects us to use the whole of our life and all that he's entrusted to us for the good of others. As Jesus once said, to whom much has been given, much is required. And the Bible has so much to say about God's generosity and the blessing of giving. A few months ago, we uh, looked at Acts chapter 20 and verse 15 and that kind of missing beatitude in that it's not found in Matthew's gospel with the rest of the beatitudes, but it's quoted by Paul as he speaks uh, to the Ephesian church. And he says to them, as Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, at this point in time, I'm tempted to ask you, what were my three points from that memorable sermon? But I don't want to further crush and disappoint myself, so I won't do that. Instead, I'll tell you what the three points were. Why is it more blessed to give than receive? Firstly, because that's who God is. It's the very nature of God. He is the giving God. Secondly, it's more blessed. It's the means of the happiest life, spiritually, emotionally, uh, the whole realm of our life is a blessing to be a giver. But thirdly, and most importantly, it's the means by which the gospel travels into the life of other people. If you're a Christian here this afternoon, think about this. How did you become a Christian? I guarantee there was at least one, if not several people, who displayed generosity towards you. They gave of their time, and themselves, and their patience, and their prayers, 
in order to be used by God as a link in the chain to bring you to Christ. It's how the gospel travels in this world. It is more blessed to give than receive. It's the nature of God. It's good for us. And it's the means by which the gospel travels on. But you see, giving, as we've already emphasised, is essentially a matter of the heart. It's not a matter of the wallet, which is often close to our hearts. It's a matter of the heart itself. For where your heart is, there your treasure is also, said the Lord Jesus. And if your heart is fixed on Christ, if your if he is the passion of your life, if his kingdom and the growth of his kingdom is your greatest ambition in life, then it can't but help overflow in love and generosity towards Jesus, towards others, for all that he's given to us. It is essentially a matter of the heart. And Generosity Week is essentially a challenge to each of us, a reminder to each of us day by day that our walk with Christ, our life with Christ, is not a matter of performance. It's essentially and flows from a matter of the heart. It's relational. We love him because he first loved us. And there's a great example of that in our reading this afternoon here in Matthew, in Mark, brother, 14. Please turn there with me. Mary, you see, was the sister, as you well know, of Lazarus and Martha. Happily for us as a church, we've spent the last few Sundays in the parallel passage in uh, John 11 that uh, precedes this incident in Mark chapter 14. Lazarus and his two sisters were close friends of the Lord Jesus. They often provided hospitality for him. They spent a lot of time together. The two sisters loved Jesus, but they were very different characters. Martha was the organiser, the practical one. Every family's got this, isn't they? Martha was that. She was the, the one who organised, she was the one who thought ahead as to what needed to happen and so on. She was the facilitator, if you like. Mary, by disposition, I dare to say we might call her a bit dreamy. She was the reflective one. She was the one who was much more observant. She just listened. She saw. On one occasion, Jesus commended her for sitting at his feet and listening while Martha, with increasing noise, I guess, was throwing her pots around in the kitchen, quite annoyed that her sister wasn't coming to help her. And Jesus lovingly rebuked Martha and said, no, Mary's chosen the better thing. She's chosen to sit at my feet, to take in my word. And here in Mark 14, she's often obviously listened very carefully to Jesus. Because she saw the significance, not merely of the resurrection of her brother, that was astonishing in and of itself, but she sees also what's about to happen to the Lord Jesus. She sees that he is about to go to the cross. And moved by a heart of love towards him, as an expression of the supreme worth that she placed upon him, she breaks open what many of the commentators think is a kind of family heirloom that's been handed down. This, this vase of 
perfume worth a year's wages. Very, very precious. And she douses Jesus with this perfume. And the aroma of it fills the room. But it's not a sweet aroma to some. And we'll think about that in a moment. But you see what happens here. Mary sees the opportunity and she takes it. She saw what others didn't or couldn't or wouldn't see at this point in time and she prepares Jesus for what's about to happen to her. She sees that this is his hour of greatest need. And Mark bookends her actions between two very different responses to Jesus. The enmity of the chief priests and the betrayal of Judas. Did you notice how those came in the story around Mary? They are motivated by hatred and by greed. She is motivated by love. And when others are quick to rush to condemn her, Jesus comes to her defence and says, what she has done is a beautiful thing. Do you see that there in verse 6? It's a beautiful thing, what she has done. Now the disciples must have thought that Jesus had a pretty strange view of money. Just a couple of chapters earlier, in Mark chapter 12, and a few days earlier actually, Jesus had commended a widow who put in literally just a penny into the offering. He commended it as if she'd given her life savings a king's ransom. And now, here he is, welcoming, commending, he's drenching with some of the most precious perfume known in the ancient world and dismissing the complaints of waste against her. They must be quite bewildered. What was his view on money? It's rather strange. But of course, there's a clear link between the two incidents. Each represent a deep, heartfelt, response to Jesus a deep gratitude of his love toward them you see both the widow and Mary are saying in effect to Jesus what I have Lord I give you the one gives a mite the other a precious heirloom the sweet perfume the point is they both offer their best. And that which is offered to God out of love is a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing in Jesus' eyes. And I want you to notice that both of these were actually premeditated actions. I've tended to read it and think of it as spontaneous actions. There's an element of spontaneity in it, but if you read carefully, I think these were pre-planned. They were premeditated acts of love and kindness. You see, for them, giving is a way of life. That's where we want to end up this week. Giving as a way of life. Coming from a heart that sees eternal realities, that wants to lay up treasure in heaven and values Christ above everything else. This is saying to God, Lord, 
all that I have, all that I am, is yours. You have made me the person you've made me. You've set me in the place that you've set me. You've given me the upbringing and the gifts and the talents and the situation that you've given me. Whether it's little or much, whether it's pennies or a fortune, at the end of the day, it's not the size of the gift that matters. It's the heart that's behind it. You see, Mary's response to the Lord Jesus was an expression of love. And love never counts the cost. It has eyes, but only for the loved one. There's a wonderful story, if you're an old romantic, it's to do with my Welsh upbringing, but I'm a bit of an old romantic, as Val will tell you. Well, occasionally I am anyway. But there's a wonderful story of of Jacob and Rachel in the Old Testament. Now, Jacob was a wheeler-dealer. That's his name, kind of means wheeler-dealer. But he'd been outmaneuvered by a man called Laban. Laban had agreed with Jacob that he would work seven years for the hand of his his daughter. Jacob thought that meant Rachel. But in fact, in Laban's eyes, it wasn't going to be Rachel. It was Leah. She was the older daughter. But Jacob didn't feel the way he did about Leah in the same way that he did about Rachel. But at the end of the seven years, he ends up with Leah. And the whole wedding service is done uh, as a bit of a masquerade, really, until he wakes up and realizes he's got the wrong sister. So he goes back. He goes back to a man who's outworld him and outdealt him, and he says, what's going to be done here? Well, you work another seven years, and you can have Rachel. You work another seven years for me without payment, and you can have Rachel, the love of your life. And the Bible has this wonderful phrase. It says that Jacob did that. He did that. And the seven years seemed but a few days because of his love for Rachel. They seemed as a few days. Why? Because the end, the end goal was to receive the joy of his heart, the love of his life. That's the kind of heart that the Lord looks for with us. You see, in preparing Jesus' body for his burial, we read about that in verse 8, Jesus said, Mary would always be remembered wherever the gospel was preached in the world. Her generosity would be her memorial. And here we are, 2,000 years later, in the centre of London. What are we doing? We're remembering her generosity. That's incredible, isn't it? The point is, no act of generosity towards God, towards his people, is ever lost on the Father. I wonder what your memorial, what my memorial is going to be. What do you want people to say about you? Oh, he was a mean old Scrooge. Or he, she, they were so generous. Do you remember that passage in Matthew 25? We've got it on the screen. If we haven't, doesn't worry, I'll read it to you. It's Jesus talking about when he comes again and he gathers the nations to him 
and then he divides the people between those on his right and those on his left. And to those on his right, he says in Matthew 25 and verse 34, Come, you are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry, or naked, or thirsty, in need of a drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or visit you in prison? And the king will reply this, said Jesus. I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did for me. No act of kindness is forgotten by God. And on that great day of Christ, he's going to recall it. We have long since forgotten it, but he hasn't. That's the point. He has a very, very long memory. And as Christians, there's a choice before us all. Of course, generosity is about how we use our money. We're to hold whatever God has given to us with an open hand. But it's far more than that. It embraces every aspect of our life. Generosity is a way of life that impacts our willingness to forgive others. That's amazing, isn't it? Those who have wronged us, the injustices that we may have suffered. To forgive is a beautiful thing. It lies at the heart of the gospel. It's liberating. It reflects the fact that we have been forgiven much. Is there somebody, as an act of generosity, we need to forgive? Generosity will be seen in our willingness to be patient with others, to put ourselves in their shoes, to, to reflect that there may be things going on in their lives that I know nothing about before I jump to being impatient with them. To remember that, like all of us, they are work in progress. And God's not given up on them. Generosity is to be patient and long-suffering. And in Jesus' eyes, it's a beautiful thing. Generosity is other person-centeredness. It shuns the ogre that so stalks around in our lives of selfishness and replaces it with a determined spirit to bless others that thinks every morning, how can I be a blessing to another person today? And I'm so, so glad that Simon recounted that story of that young girl. Because that's the heart of the thing, isn't it? It's not simply about our money, as with my friend Mac. It's not your money, it's your time that your cousin needs. 
And all of us every day have opportunity to be other person centeredness, centered, and to show the love that God has shown us. You see, generosity looks out on the world around us with the eyes of one who wept over Jerusalem, that rebel city, and works for the salvation of the lost. It's seen supremely in our desire that our friends, our family, our workmates, our neighbours, the people we rub shoulders with day to day, might, in the grace and goodness of God, come to know Christ for themselves. And it weeps at their lostness. And it says, Lord, use even me, my feeble words, my feeble example, my feeble pointing of them to yourself to bring the greatest, most imaginably wonderful blessing, that of knowing you, into their lives. So my prayer for myself, my prayer for each of us this week, is that as we travel through Generosity Week, it would change the way we think about generosity. And we would embrace its widespread, its far-reaching challenge upon our lives in every area of our lives. For that to happen, then like Mary, we need a heart that's captivated, besotted with Christ. Our actions motivated by love for him. A desire to reflect his generosity toward all we come in contact with. William Gadsby was a, a minister up in Manchester in the early 19th century. He gave the English language one of its great hymns. And it could be written about Mary and how she felt about the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's a wonderful hymn reflecting how we might feel about Christ. Let me read it to you as I close. Immortal honours rest on Jesus' head. My God, my portion, and my living bread. In him I live, upon him I cast my care. He saves from death, destruction, and despair. He is my refuge in, deep, in each deep distress. The Lord, my strength and glorious righteousness. Through floods and flames, he leads me safely on and daily makes his sovereign goodness, generosity, known. Oh, that my soul could love and praise him more, his beauties trace, his majesty adore. Live near his heart, upon his bosom lean, obey his voice and all his will esteem. Giving as a way of life, such a life, such a way, is a beautiful thing. May it be ours. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we will spend eternity reflecting, rejoicing, basking in your generosity to us. 
laughing that even we might be found in your new heaven, your new earth. Lord, may that start right now. And may you use all the things we think about this week to direct our hearts and to draw our hearts towards Christ afresh. And may we, at the end of this week, Lord, be people who are at least a step nearer being generous with the same generosity that you've shown us and therefore living for your glory in a way that attracts your smile and your blessing upon us. Hear our cry, Lord. Help us in our selfishness. Help us in our weakness. Do your work through the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.